The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 249, brought to you by Rageworks. Our call number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call number, 347-324-3541. This show is being broadcasted live Thursday, October 9th, 2014. Uh, a couple of things we got to get into, some really big news that we're going to be um, announcing momentarily. I know some people are going to be calling in uh, to help us announce some of the stuff, and we're going to take care of that. Uh, but before we get into that, I did want to address a couple of things from yesterday's show. Um, a lot of people reached out letting me know that they were having issues with um, uh, hearing Ben during the show. And luckily, I managed to fix that um, with an external recorder. So we managed to merge the audio with the video, which you can find on our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash my take radio TV. So you'll be able to check out the video there. Uh, the videos haven't been posted on MyTakeRadio.com and Rageworks yet. Uh, things were a little hectic here, but we managed to um, get the audio on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and all our other providers. So at least we did get that taken care of. Uh, uh, part of the reasoning is, like I said, some of the stuff that we're going to announce. I know one of the things we're going to announce, um, Danny from Royal Flush Magazine is going to be calling in, and she's going to be um, she's going to be helping us out with the announcement for that, but I'm actually going to share an announcement which pertains to next week's uh, Get Geeked event. As many of you know, uh, usually My Take Radio now runs on a two-day-a-week schedule. Uh, Wednesdays, MMA and wrestling. Thursdays, gaming and entertainment. So next week, we're going to be doing, of course, our wrestling and MMA show on Wednesday, but there will not be a gaming and entertainment show Thursday because we will be covering the Get Geeked event, which is going to be happening here in New York City. Um, we'll be sharing all the details for that in our show notes and also on social media if you guys, any of my fellow New Yorkers, are interested in attending. Uh, Get Geeked is a media and uh, customer-facing event which allows people to get hands-on time with some of the latest gadgets and gear that are going to be hitting the market. Uh, companies like Lenovo, um, Amazon, TiVo, Sling, a lot of those big name brands that you know are going to be showcasing and debuting a lot of brand new and exciting products. And we're going to be covering it, but 
uh, things things kind of shifted from yours truly covering the event to now being in charge of the live stream. So the entire event is going to be live streamed on getgeeked.tv and yours truly is going to be holding the microphone and is going to be on camera the entire night interviewing attendees, everybody on the show floor. Uh, we're going to see all the product launches, everybody coming off the panels. So I went from covering the event to doing all the uh, doing all the on-camera stuff for the event. Uh, very excited, very nervous at the same time, obviously, because it took me a while to get over being in front of the camera now. And now, you know, this is going to be on a bigger platform. The entire event, like I said, is going to be live streamed and we're going to be talking to the general public that's going to be able to attend as of 7 p.m. Eastern. The press will be able to attend from 4 p.m. till 7 p.m. So the press have a three hour lead in window, but otherwise attendees will be able to enter starting at 7 p.m. And best of all, you guys, are gonna, there's going to be uh, swag bags full of all types of different gadgets and gizmos and gear. And um, we're going to be also uh, doing a lot of giveaways. The last event that the organizer uh barry ah, it's fucking mike stan sorry about that uh barry that we worked with he is um he they gave away a 50 inch tv so there was a guy that was at an event and he won a 50 inch tv i don't know how he got it home but he won a 50 inch i believe it was an lg tv so these these are the kind of prizes that are gonna be on display and like i said yours truly is Went from covering the event to working the event as part of the staff. I'm really excited. Um, it's it's big for my take radio. It's big for RageWorks to you know get us out there. Obviously, get myself out there and try and sell it. But to my fellow New York residents, if you want to come through, uh, even if you want to come through just to play with some of the new gadgets, or you want to come through and hang out, it will be open to the general public. So. It's not like CES and, and some of those other events that are going to be closed. This is going to be open to the general public. You'll be able to come in there and play with all these great gadgets. And hell, you might win a few and take some of them home. And, you know, that that's really what's going to be super cool to see, especially because, like I said, working with this particular team that I've been involved in befo with before. But from a media standpoint, it's nice to see that people are going to be able to get their hands on some of this stuff so who knows we might have a couple of the, the brand new kindles maybe some tivo boxes i know samsung's gonna be there somebody's bound to give away a tv again because that's the that's the kind of stuff that um we're gonna be doing now with regards to the live stream i believe the live stream will probably be live from 4 p.m on once we get the scheduling figured out but i'll make sure to share it on uh, mytakeradio.com rageworks and of course on all our social media platforms as well um, our coverage will be uh, a little different like i said because i'll be working the event but i will try to get photos and hands-on time with a lot of the gadgets and gear that are there again if you want to attend it is thursday the 16th in new york city i will share the address and all that stuff in the show notes it starts at 4 p.m if you're a member of the press 7 p.m it opens up to the general public uh, there'll be food beverages and tons of electronic gear as well like i said i'm very excited uh slightly nervous but um it's all good if you're in the chat room you see that slick is referencing hennessy and um <laughs> the reason for this is that slick and i covered an event actually the funny thing is slick and i covered an event that was organized by uh the same guy that's running get geeked and they had an open bar 
and it was open to the general public. And this guy very belligerently walked up to the bar, shoved his way through and proceeded to ask if there was Hennessy. And, you know, <laughs> for for those of, for those of you that are that are longtime New Yorkers or are in a I hate using the term, but in an urban environment, you'll know the uh, the connotations that Hennessy brings about. But in any event, uh, the guy walked up super belligerent and was legitimately asking for Hennessy at a press event. And as someone who doesn't drink, who kind of, you know, lives the straight edge lifestyle, I, I laughed because, you know, you go to these events, they have wine, maybe they'll have, you know, a gin and tonic. You know, I don't even want to say high-end drinks because, you know, uh, everybody's interpretation of a high-end drink varies. But this guy just was like, oh, man, I want a shot of Hennessy. And I'm like, okay. I, I mean, the funny thing was that the the bartender, he laughed it off. He's like, yeah, we don't have any Hennessy. Um, you know, that we had, um, they had some other stuff there. I mean, they had some some decent stuff. Like, a lot of people were drinking tequila. Like, there was one, there was one lady which was funny. She went from table to table getting stuff and she, she got lit on tequila. Like she, she, she went and she had a shot every half an hour. And it was funny cause she started like really like walking around, slurring her speech. What kind of a TiVo box is that? I was like, okay, this lady's going to projectile vomit over everyone. But, uh, hopefully this event is going to be substantially different. We're going to have a good time. Uh, we're going to be running an awesome live stream. Like I said, we're going to be working with uh, netcast media, and a lot of other providers, so definitely stay tuned for that. Um, I know that Danny was supposed to join us, and I'll you know I'll wait for her to pop in to make the second announcement. The other thing I did want to acknowledge is, and this was something that happened earlier today, it's the Facebook updates. Uh, some of you were telling me that you're not getting um, our site posts on your timelines due to Facebook, and the thing I got to say with regards to that is that unfortunately it is out of our control. I know that with RageWorks we have a, a smaller fan count, so you think it would reach everybody, but that's not the case. Whether you have a hundred fans, a thousand fans, or ten thousand fans, unfortunately that is not going to be the case. As always, make sure that when you do become a fan of either My Take Radio or RageWorks, you check the the drop down box to ensure that you get our updates otherwise um you know you can follow us on twitter at my take radio at rage underscore works or with google plus either one of those options work as well otherwise like i said you can always just go to mytakeradio.com or rageworks.net and get all your content there we are trying to set up email newsletters which i don't want to spam your inbox but if that's one of the ways that you want to do it you can uh, sign up for a newsletter. We'll send it out once a week, uh, give you some updates on a ton of stuff, and we'll also try to give our newsletter subscribers some some exclusive stuff as well, whether it's a, a podcast episode or something like that that we can offer to them first. Um, Dark Helmet in the chat said it perfectly to make sure to get our updates, make sure that you put get notifications. So that's how you can take care of the fan page stuff. Otherwise... As always, MyTakeRadio.com and RageWorks.net is where you're going to want to head to get all the information. All right, so I know that Danny's trying to get herself settled before she comes on board. So let's jump into some gaming news because there are a couple of things I want to get into. One thing in particular has been making a lot of waves, and I figure we're going to open with this before getting into the um, 
the other gaming news for the week. So let's get to this story first, shall we? All right, so The Verge, which is actually one of the the few tech sites that I really enjoy reading. Um, a lot of people give a lot of shit to The Verge and Polygon for a lot of the content they put out. But I'll be honest and say when I say that The Verge and Polygon put out some really, really solid stuff. I mean, sometimes their stuff is questionable, but most times their work is a pleasure to read. So if you guys remember, not last week, the week prior, we were talking about the Gamergate situation, which obviously questioned the integrity of uh, the gaming journalism at large. And it also just questioned the relationships between uh, game journalists and PR reps and also game companies. And the funny thing is that I kind of felt that the story, I, I really did feel that the story kind of started to fall by the wayside a little bit. And like anything else, like a scab, somebody pokes at it. seconds. That's weird. Why is this thing saying I have 90 seconds on here? Uh, hold on a second, guys. What the fuck is going on? I don't know why the countdown is saying 90 seconds. Let me fix that real quick. <sighs> Unbelievable. Hold on a second, guys. 60 seconds. Oh, the mad dash to make sure it's finished. Oh, boy. Hold on a minute. Uh, that's going to suck. Yeah, that's weird. Thank you, Slick. Uh, okay. So for some reason, it's saying that the show... <sighs> Hold on a second, guys. This is the kind of shit I got to deal with with Blog Talk Radio. <sighs> Ten seconds. All right. Uh, you know what? Let me see if I can do this right. <sighs> yeah, exactly. It is It is a duck and cover type of an episode. It really is. Okay. All right, you know what I'm going to have to do? Uh, hold on one second. Uh, see, I'm going to have to either end this episode. See, this is the bullshit. If only I could just accept calls with um, with Skype, we wouldn't have this problem. Hold on a second, guys. Let me end this episode. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. All right, so uh, let's try that again. Uh, bear with me a moment. Why can I not type in a description? There we go. Ah. Uh, I apologize. Looks like I'll be doing a lot of editing. <laughs> All right, so let me uh, dial into the switchboard, and we'll take it from there. Oh, of course not. So, of course, it's not letting me do the, um, it's not letting me do the, uh, whatchamacallit, set up another episode for the day. All right, this is, uh, this is a bit of a problem. So, with that said, since Blog Talk Radio decides to be shitty, I cannot uh, take any incoming calls. Wonderful. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> but you know what? We're going to still we're going to still rock with the show anyway. And um, you know what? The way I figure it, I might as well give the do the announcement. And Danny, if she joins us in the chat, she can attest to what we're doing anyway. So the big announcement is that um, next next Saturday. Uh, Danny and myself are attending an event called KarenCon, which is happening at Pace University here in New York City. That's Saturday, October 18th. Uh, Danny and I have been selected to run a panel at the Pace event, which we're really, really excited about. And it is actually going to cover, uh, it's actually going to be based on covering events. 
So we're going to be talking about all the work that goes into covering an event um, with Kieran Khan uh, focusing as the background. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually meet with students and we're going to present probably about a one hour presentation to educate them on the etiquette and the work that goes into covering events. And um, we're really looking forward to it. Like I said, it's it's one of those things where we're going to be able to, um, you know, we'll be able to share everything that we've learned about covering events. I think it's one of the things that uh, myself and the rest of the MTR team and Danny and her team at Royal Flush Magazine do incredibly well, uh, especially with regards to just getting the content out there, giving you guys all the news that we can, all the stuff that we can. And um, we're really, really proud of it. And I'm really looking forward to doing it. It is a completely uh, student-run event. They're going to have cosplay. They're going to have game tournaments. It is going to be fantastic. And the best part is that it's being done by by students because the beauty of stuff like this is that uh, the younger generation – for as much as sometimes I give them hell for being entitled and uh, sometimes a little pampered, they are passionate about their interests. And this particular event is going to be uh, focused on, you know, the anime culture, gaming, uh, Japanese culture as well. And it's going to be doing just uh, something different and unique. And best of all, like I said, it's being done by the students. So I was a little apprehensive about doing it just because, you know, I'm just I'm just a guy that sits behind a microphone and, um, you know, runs off at the mouth for, for 90 minutes and to go and stand in front of a future generation of, you know, potential journalists, bloggers, media personalities, the future and kind of mold them and, and shape them and give them, you know, the tools that we use to cover events. I'm very proud of that. And I'm also very proud that, you know, Danny asked me to do this with her. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity and I hope that, um, I can impart some wisdom on these kids and give them as much as I can from what I've learned that went into, you know, just becoming the, the outlet that we've become thus far. And I think we're still a work in progress. I think there's still a lot of stuff that I'm learning, but I also feel that in terms of how we've grown as a brand, as a company, very few people can, can question that we don't have the ethic on the contrary. Uh, some of us work extremely hard to try and, you know, make my take radio and rage works just a viable brand, you know, slick and myself, we can attest to many sleepless nights with regards to content, with regards to just getting stuff out for you guys to enjoy. And above all else, we pride ourselves on keeping that content, uh, honest, true, and with our own voice. That's the thing. That's the thing that I really like. I like being able to share my thoughts with you guys and also report on this stuff, but doing it with my own unique voice. I um I had the pleasure of of checking out an interview with a guy, Tim Ferriss and Ramit Sethi. A lot of you guys may know either both of those guys or one of those guys. And one of the things that um, Ramit and Tim focused on was keeping your own voice. And it's something that I really, really feel is... um is is what sets us apart from everybody else we're not a copy and paste outfit and even and even in the instances where we got to try and get the content out for you guys we excuse me we always make sure to add our own unique spin on it so i just wanted to share that with you guys so that's the big news we got get geeked on thursday 4 p.m for media 7 p.m for the general public and then we got kieran khan all day saturday uh we'll make sure to put all the links 
in the show notes. If you're in New York City and you're close to Pace University, definitely check it out. If you're a fan of Japanese culture, anime, uh, gaming, and you want to support the students at Pace University and help mold the future and obviously are a passionate fan, I recommend you guys check it out. So there's the announcement. I'm bummed that Danny couldn't do it with me because obviously Blog Talk Radio is a steaming pile of garbage, but that is what happened. (laughs) In any event, circling back um, to what I was going to talk about is I wanted to get into the Gamergate situation, which, like I said, was kind of swept under the rug last week. And it's funny that we're talking about working Kieran Khan and at the same time, the uh, the Gamergate fiasco rears its ugly head. Um, in this instance, what like I said, one of my outlet, one of my favorite outlets, um, The Verge, decided that they were going to kind of share. A, I don't want to say an unbiased opinion, but an opinion about the Gamergate situation that ruffled a lot of feathers. And when I say ruffled a lot of feathers, I'm talking about people were extremely, extremely pissed off. And Twitter pretty much exploded into all kinds of crazy commentary. And the funny thing is that I, I understand the frustration, but I also respect that The Verge um, just wanted to look at it from a different standpoint. The article, it's um, it's titled, What's Happening in Gamergate? It's written by Addie Robertson, and it was uh, published October 6th. And I just want to read you um, an excerpt, and then I, I, I'm going to share my thoughts on it. Uh, in, the, in the article, he said, and I quote, Gamergate has been a huge topic of discussion at The Verge in the past few days. It's become clear during the peri- this period that Gamergate is really, really confusing. It's meant a lot of things over the past three months and it's, that it's been around. We've largely stayed clear of it, but in light of our recent piece, I want to know what everyone actually thinks is going on. Right now, that means you are readers. The second paragraph, which I want to share, is I'm not trying to figure out whether people agree with it or what they think should happen, or get two-word answers like journalistic ethics or misogynist harassment. I'm really curious what events you think started Gamergate, what specific problems people who support it are upset about, again, not corruption, um, what people have actually done, in, in, the, in one case, Intel pulled a sponsorship, or a journalist said she would stop writing because of harassment. Oh, and if you have no idea what Gamergate is, or only a vague idea of what's going on, please post that, it's one of the things I'm most interested in. Now, I really like this approach because the problem with situations like this regarding something so huge like Gamergate, um, it really does upset the balance of, of, of the gaming journal culture. And the reason I say this is because, and Danny can agree with me, she's in the chat and she can attest to this, I've, I've come to realize that in this industry that we are a part of, um, journalistic integrity or journalistic ethics is is something that is cherry picked and when when i say this i'll I'll, let me let me be let me be clear i'm not acknowledging anyone in particular i'm not acknowledging any outlet but i want to talk about journalistic ethics being cherry picked and i'll tell you why uh the same the same company that the same brand that reviews uh games from every publisher and one particular publisher says, hey, you know, we, um, you know, we're sending you our game. Here's a spec sheet of our game. And here's a free $50 gift certificate. Or here's, what, you know, whatever. In, 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 in such a way that it skews the reviews in a favorable direction, I don't feel that that's, that that's something that can be considered ethical. It really can't. Because 
if you get the game for free or you get the game um, as as a press outlet, your job as someone who provides information, as someone who's an authority, who's considered an authority figure, your job is to deliver the clearest, most concise answers, reviews, and content possible. And what's happening is with Gamergate, it pretty much opened the floodgates uh, with regards to you know people skewing certain scores for certain games, uh, people getting favorable treatment due to their coverage of certain games, etc., etc., etc. And the thing that that like I said, it, it's cherry picked ethics. And the reason I say this is because there's some people that they'll go, they'll review every game possible. And they'll try and crank out these reviews without any real substance because the payoff is that they get these games for free. That's all well and good. But what happens with that is that if you build a following, you build an audience, people are going to expect you to tell them the truth, not what somebody is give is paying you to say. And this is where, you know, the whole journal, the whole journalistic ethics falls in falls by the wayside because you got guys and you got outlets that they'll pick up games They'll review them, and you know that the game damn well deserves a 6 or a 5 or whatever scoring you put, you know, middle of the road. But you know that they're going to give the game an 8 or a 9. And the first thing you're going to do when you read that is, as a, as a consumer, you're going to be like, this is such bullshit because the game is not on that type of a level. I've seen it happen numerous times with some games. And I know Slick Slick is a, is a big reader of Metacritic. Slick does that often. When he, um, you know, he, he's researching games, he likes to use Metacritic, and he's told me a few times, he's like, yo, dudes on there are giving this game, a, you know, an 8 or a 9, and I played the game, and come on, maybe, maybe a 7 or a 6, and the problem is that when you get, and when you get into the meat and potatoes of that, I always feel that the score is just the, the, um, I always feel that the score is the gift wrap. And the reason I say this is because we package a review a certain way. And when you scroll down, you want to see the score. And if the game is a five, you automatically assume that the game is a five, that it's an amazing game. It's a life changing game. It's it's an incredible game. And I'll be honest, sometimes you see these games with these perfect scores and you play them and you'll find that there's just a lot of things that are lacking, a lot of things you don't like. And I think that that's one of the things that spurs so many other people to start sites start blogs because they just disagree with the status quo with me i i you know i've i read ign i read sites like the verge i read sites like polygon i read some of the smaller sites i try to learn what everybody's talking about because at the end of the day i want to give the most genuine opinion with the most information with the most information and in this in in our case for instance we score the games but even if we get the games from a publisher, we're going to score the games honestly. Slick can attest to the fact that we have got some duds, some genuine duds with regards to games. Some really, really just, just we're like, really? You really want us to review this? And, and we've given two-star reviews, one-star reviews. We've done that. I've given a four-and-a-half. I think maybe once I think I gave a five-star review, and that was just because for me personally, for me, I felt that this game met every, every, every aspect of enjoyability, if that's, if that's even a word, of enjoyment. Uh, put it like this. It met, it met every aspect of my personal enjoyment that I could share with you guys. That's how it is. Slick says, 
My score is what the game deserves. My review is how I feel about the game, and regardless of score, whether you should buy it. And that's exactly it. I, 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 I implore you, if you're a gamer, don't rely on the score. Read the content. If you feel that the content is too wordy, too technical, and you just want the answers, then find another outlet that can give you the answers and then collectively create your own opinion. That's it. You should you if if you go on Metacritic and say Call of Duty is is a is a nine point five, and then you go to IGN and it's an eight point seven, and then you go let we'll use we'll use Danny as an example. You go to Royal Flush Magazine that Call of Duty game is now a a, a seven point one, and maybe we decide to review it and we're a six point two. You see how the slide how the scale slides depending on the outlet. Now your job as just a free thinking consumer is that you're going to say, okay, what didn't Danny like about the game? What didn't rich or slick or quark or blade or any of the MTR guys not like about the game? What didn't IGN like? And then you come up with your own opinion. That's it. The problem is that everybody wants to be upset and everybody wants to be offended. But I'll be honest when you look at when you, when you're in this industry, there's a lot of glad handing. There's a lot of handshaking. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that goes on and everybody acts like this is new. Do you know how many times uh, newspaper journalists have have had to pay a source for information? TMZ does it all the time. What do you think? TMZ randomly has guys out there to break every news story. No, sometimes they got snitches that they got to pay off. And maybe the story's true. Maybe the story's not true. But at the end of the day, you're providing the information as fast as possible. And that is. That's really the problem. The problem isn't journalistic ethics. The problem is that everybody wants to be first. Everybody wants to be first. And I'm sorry, I understand, you know, if you're not first, you're last, according to, according to you know, Ricky Bobby's dad. But in all honesty, I'd rather be the last person with the most honest review than be the first person that's feeding you a load of shit. Gamergate is, is, is really just focusing on the on the on the bigger elephant in the room instead of focusing on the stuff that's really going on like misogynistic harassment misogynistic harassment i feel is a bigger issue in any industry particularly in gaming or in just in geek culture as a great example misogynistic harassment is a bigger issue because that is affecting everything now, you're probably saying to yourself, oh, Rich is about to get on this pedestal and he's going to tell us about being, a, a, you know, treating, treating the opposite sex, right? That's not what I'm going to do. Strap in, folks, because this is going to be real. This is, this is going to be as real as it gets. Let, let's put it this way. I'm going to start with the most recognizable faces on a show floor, cosplayers. Cosplayers, whether they are dressed like Groot Rocket Raccoon, Storm, Spider-Woman, um, a Stormtrooper, a Jedi, whatever the case may be, cosplayers are entitled to, to represent those particular characters however they see fit. If a cosplayer feels that she has to accurately represent a, a character like Vampirella, which requires a costume that is very, very skimpy, then she's comfortable enough in her own skin to do that that's not free that's not carte blanche for 
um, fellow journalists, fellow cosplayers, or show attendees to try and cop a cheap feel. That's not the case. You know, she wanted to dress like this character. She felt comfortable enough dressing as this character. It is what it is. Just because you're wearing a two-piece bathing suit doesn't mean you're wearing a sign around your neck that says, I want you to possibly check my oil with your thumb. And this is the kind of stuff that's happening. Or um, women that, that are YouTube personalities in the gaming industry. All of, them, all of a sudden, because somebody doesn't agree with what you're saying, you know, I'm going to show up at your house and rape you while you're sleeping or set your house on fire. And these are the things that are bigger. These are the things that are bigger. Like Gamergate, journalistic ethics, get off your high horses, people. The shit has always existed, whether it's movie press, gaming press, gossip journalists, CNN, it, it, even even the, the podunk shitty news station in some small town has their set of people who they make sure get the news out. Maybe the news aren't always accurate, but they get them out timely. You know, I, I cosplay all this stuff. Listen, we are we are uh, um, we are a demographic of independent and extremely vocal thinkers. But the problem I have is the fact that sometimes people get a little carried away with their shit. You know, people get carried away just because a girl looks in- incredibly beautiful in her slave Leia costume doesn't mean that when you ask to take a photo, you try and slip a hand and touch an ass cheek. Don't do it because what this does is you get thrown out and it just continues to paint a terrible, terrible picture. The other thing I got to talk about with that. And, and and this is bigger than Gamergate, is body shaming. Body shaming, and I talked about this just playing around a couple of weeks back, body shaming. You know, if a girl decides that she wants to cosplay as Ivy from the Soul Calibur series, and, you know, maybe she's not rocking a 36-24-36 measurement and isn't built like a swimsuit cover model, but went through the trouble of constructing a costume that is not only extremely accurate but perfect that girl is entitled to wear that costume the same way that the fat kid that that rocks the skinny jeans can wear those skinny jeans is the same way that that girl whether she's black white asian purple green magenta has no legs has no arms is a torso in a wheelchair she's entitled to she's entitled to rock that ivy costume however she sees fit if she is just a torso with no arms and legs and she endured all the labor that went into that costume and it looks legit, you know, let her do what she's got to do. Respect the respect the art form. You know, nothing is more nothing is more annoying than, you know, I, I follow a, a fair amount of cosplayers because I, I try to interview them or share their work with with the readers or the listeners. And the first thing some dude will be like, don't you think you're a little too big? to be wearing that like a great example is you know you take an example uh i'll use uh one cosplayer uh ivy ivy doom kitty which i know a lot is is highly recognized highly recognized and um she put up a picture from a cosplay that she did i believe it was miss marvel which is a cosplay that's been uh that's been shown everywhere it's been shown everywhere that that particular cosplay i've seen it on pinterest I've seen it on Reddit. I've seen it everywhere. So I saw it one day on Reddit and somebody was like, uh, they put the cosplay up and it was a good costume and it was extreme. It was extremely legit. And she writes, she puts, they put the cosplay up and the first person 
for, well, first there was the guy that wrote first. <laughs> let's 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 give that guy let's give that guy a round of applause for for writing first. Congratulations. But he the, the, this guy writes who told her that it was a good idea to put on to to rock that costume. Isn't she a little too big? And I was just like, "Well, all right." <laughs> and um the funny thing about that is that you know, this girl's been cosplaying for years. She's a no she's a known name in the industry. I'm sure that she wipes her ass with that commentary, but it's just funny because you know, some of these costumes take months, weeks, years to construct. Um, sometimes this is how they earn their living. And it takes just that one comment to just ruin the entire thing. Listen, if you're not a fan or you don't think it's fine, yeah, you're entitled to comment, but don't don't be completely a fucking douchebag. It's it's the worst on Facebook where it's your real name. You know, you're in your real name. Uh, you know, on Facebook, you're using your real name and you're genuinely commenting, you know, must fap or, you know, uh, them boobs or whatever the case may be. What You know, you're doing that and you're putting yourself out there and you're just making yourself look like a clown. And this applies to anybody. This isn't even a gender thing because girls are guilty of it, too. Like, I see that shit, too. They'll write some shit and just be like, ugh, you know, you, you know, you're, you're yeah, everybody likes your cosplay because you're half naked. Fuck it. You're comfortable. You're comfortable looking that way. And the funny thing is everybody's talking about Gamergate and you should and we shouldn't be focusing on Gamergate. We should be focusing on equal treatment. Period. Equal treatment. And I've said this before. Stop using gender, sexual preference, and any of that shit to identify yourself. And this go this falls on us too. Like, I'm clearly Hispanic. I'm clearly brown. I'm not gonna call myself the brown gamer. The Hispanic gamer, the arroz con habichuelas gamer, the Goya gamer. It's not it's not the right way to do things. I am just a gamer. That's it. Like, don't use all these labels and then don't allow yourself to be labeled. It's funny because Raven Simone did an interview. And first of all, I think she had like a really funky wig on. But um, she said, I don't even want to be recognized as African-American. I just want to be recognized as American, which was which, you know, it sounds crazy. It sounds insane, but in the grand scheme of things, it makes sense. It makes sense. That's that's it. The rice and peas gamer. That's right. You know, it's it's crazy to me that this is this is the um that everybody's so focused on like I said journalistic ethics. And the bigger problem at hand is body shaming, labeling, poor coverage, and abuse of the system. Now when you're saying what are you talking about? Abuse of the system here. Let me give you an example. Abuse of the system. You go to an event, you con out of this event, a couple of passes, you go and you cover them and you cover the event. You get all the free swag and then you post one article. You went to this event three days, four days, five days. Maybe you, they, maybe you flew out there and you write three posts. I went on Twitter when comic con started and I said, to the people that manage to game multiple media passes, I expect to see posts every day. I expect to see a heat map of the show floor. I expect to know the body type and the blood type of every attendee because you managed to get multiple passes. And again, this this goes down to, to, the, to the meat and potatoes of, of that. And that's why I say abusing the system. When I cover an event, and this is something I'm going to talk about at KarenCon... I utilize what is called the why. 
which I actually made a slide. Um, why am I covering the event? Or and why am I covering it? What is it for? You know, what's it what's it going to mean to my audience? That's the W. How how am I going to cover it? And why? As in your responsibility to the person that credentialed you. That's that's the, the I, I I believe in it. I live it, and that's how I do it. Why do I want to cover it? And what is it doing for my audience? How am I going to cover it? And my responsibility to the outlet, the why, you know, your responsibility in terms of what I was going to tell the, the students at, at KarenCon. And that's how you should approach it. Why, why would you want to cover, here's one, why would you want to cover New York Comic Con? Are you a comic fan? Are you a gamer? Are you a wrestling fan? Is this what you do? Is this what you write about? Is this the backbone of your content? Then you have your why. How are you going to cover it? Audio, video, um, podcast, uh, posts, daily posts, and your responsibility. Your responsibility for getting credentialed is to deliver the best content possible. Again, these are the things that are plaguing this industry. It's not journalistic ethics. It's gaming the system, body shaming, and just misogynistic labeling. That's it. That's exactly what's ruining this. And The Verge put out this article, and a lot of people were upset because a lot of people felt that The Verge was telling them how they should or should not feel. Nobody, you know, everybody automatically got on their high horse and said, The Verge is telling us how we should or shouldn't feel. And to a degree, I feel that they may have been a little preachy about it, but I'll be honest when I say that as someone who has independent thought, you should, you should have your own opinion. And to see this this Gamergate situation still being a factor, you know, three months later, like like the 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 author of this post said, it's it's heartbreaking. It really is heartbreaking because it's taking away from the bigger issues, and those are them. The bigger issues are the labeling, um, you know, just the 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 constant harassment because it's out there, and I've seen it. And and yeah, you got your psychos, but you also got your individuals that just write terrible shit. They, they just write terrible things, and those are just glorified trolls. But, again, if you're a media outlet, if you're an attendee, there's a level of decorum that is important. And I know that if my nephew or, or, or Captain Quark were here, they'd laugh that I used the word decorum. But there's, there's an expectation. It's bad enough that, gamer, that gaming geeks, comic fans, um, anime fans, we get this stigma of being basement-dwelling, smelly, anti-social douchebags and by at by by perpetrating this behavior we're feeding into those stereotypes especially the creepy ones especially the creepy ones simple simple as that especially the creepy stereotypes don't feed into them and again if you're if you're somebody who's 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 trying to start a site or trying to start a blog utilize the why why you want to do it what does it what purpose will it serve how are you going to do it and your responsibility. And and if you live by that simple motto, you'll get successful. It may not be overnight, but at least you'll be true to yourself. That's it. And I wanted I wanted to share that and I wanted to kind of open with that because I felt that that was something that has become a big elephant in the room. And especially over the next couple of weeks where I'm going to be covering more events, I'm going to be I'm going to be seeing a lot of this firsthand, you know? That's that's how it works. But in any event, let's get into some some lighter fare, some of the other stuff I wanted to address. Um, clearly, like I said, 
the Blog Talk Radio feed is down, but you can continue listening on Mixler or you can watch on mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. So let's talk some other gaming news for this week that I wanted to get into. So uh, Super Smash Bros. Wii U is officially hitting stores November 21st. Um, as many of you know, Super Smash Bros. is currently available on the 3DS, and it is kicking ass left and right. So, the game has a suggested retail price of $59.99, and of course, you're also going to be able to use the brand new interactive Amiibo figures, which are going to be released on the same day. Those are going to retail for $12.99. Now, if you're curious, the Amiibo figures for Smash Bros. are similar to the things you see for Disney Infinity or the things you see for um, the thing, you know, some of the stuff you see for Skylanders. But in Nintendo's case, it's allowing you to customize your character and also take that character with you. the The Amiibo interface looks incredibly promising, and considering the the library of of characters that Nintendo has, there's going to be a lot of different uh, customization options that are going to be offered. So, with that said. When Smash Brothers uh, when Smash Brothers drops on the Wii U, I'm curious to know how many of you are going to actually um, interact with the Amiibo interface. I see our very own Quark is in the chat. Very good to see you. Um, I'm actually going to pose the question to him, Quark. If you pick up, if you were to pick up Smash Brothers on the Wii U, are you going to pick up the Amiibo figures for the full experience? I'm curious because a lot of people that have been doing that are saying that the figures are a glorified are, are a glorified cash grab. And, um, you know, it's just Nintendo arriving late to the party. Quark says, I'm worried as fuck about Smash Brothers Amiibos not working for other games. See, that's that's one of the bigger concerns that I've been seeing. And um, the funny thing is, Nintendo, I, I understand Nintendo most times, they kind of come out of the gate half-cocked. And the reason I say this is because sometimes they have something so wonderful, so amazing. And then when it hits the market, it almost feels like it's incomplete. And the reason I say this is because look at the Wii U. You look at the at the Wii U, and when the Wii U officially came out, the library of games was incredibly small. It was an incredibly small assortment of games. Versus, you know, when you're looking at, for instance, uh, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, the, the library was a little stronger. Now, with the Wii U, it's actually taken this long for the Wii U to actually start becoming a force. And I, I've talked about this on previous episodes saying that it's, um, you know, that it's it's really refreshing to see that. And I'm actually going to probably pick up a Wii U for the holidays because there's a nice library of games that I can actually play with. And like I said, the, the Amiibo figures have an incredible upside if Nintendo does it right. But we know Nintendo's track record with third-party accessories that it's always hit and miss. So... If you're going to get Smash Brothers again, it's November 21st. It's going to be 59.99. If you want to get involved with the whole Amiibo experience, that is going to run you um, a whopping 12.99 a figure. As of right now, there's going to the first set is going to be 12 figures with six more coming in December. So here's what you're going to get in the first set: Mario, Peach, Yoshi, Donkey Kong, Link, uh, Star Fox, Samus. The Wii Fit Trainer, The Villager, Pikachu, Kirby, and Marth. That is going to be the first set. The second set, which is going to come out in December, is going to have Zelda, Diddy Kong, Luigi, Little Mac, Pit, and Captain Falcon. 
So, I saw that Quark said that he wants to pick up um, Little Mac and who was the other one you wanted to get, Quark? Oh, Captain Falcon. So that means that you're going to need Captain Falcon and Little Mac on the December run of figures. If you want to get in on the initial run, those are going to come out the same day that the game does, and those are going to have the staples. You know, Mario, Peach, Yoshi, Donkey Kong, you know, the usual suspects. So I have a feeling that Smash Brothers is not only going to be an incredibly successful game, but it's going to move a lot of units. Now, the Amiibo figures, the interaction is going to be wirelessly with compatible games, but in addition to that, they're adding a special dongle which is going to allow you to use a Wii U gamepad controller to play Smash Brothers as well. So, you know, there's a couple there's a couple of different things that Nintendo is doing that is really pushing the envelope. The other thing, besides obviously the um the ability to use original GameCube controllers or Wave or WaveBird controllers is the fact that they're also going to release a special GameCube controller with a Smash Brothers logo, which I have a feeling is going to be incredibly rare. That's going to run for $29.99. In addition to that, they're going to release a special bundle, which comes with Smash Brothers, one Nintendo GameCube controller, plus the adapter, and that's going to have a retail price of $99.99. So, to recap, the game is coming out November 21st, $59.99 for the game. The Amiibo figures are going to have an MSRP of $12.99 a figure. You're also going to have the chance to get the official um, adapter, which is $19.99 to use GameCube and WaveBird controllers. So I have a feeling that those WaveBird controllers, which were incredibly rare on eBay, are going to go up even more so once Smash Brothers comes out. The other option is you can pick up a special GameCube controller with a Smash Brothers logo for $30.00. And last but not least, the big bundle, which is going to run you $100. It's the controller, it's the um, the adapter, and the game. That's going to be 99 bucks, and that's all coming out, once again, November 21st. Put that down on your calendars. Um, Quark says, and I quote, uh, The GameCube thing is bullshit, as you can only use the game controllers. This is true. A lot of people were upset about that. You are definitely in the majority with regards to that. Uh, Mortis adds that the Pro the pro Controller for Smash really isn't that bad. I liked it when they had a, a, the demo kiosk at Best Buy. And then Quark adds, I'll be real, I like playing Smash with a classic controller. Uh, Tryhards just love the GameCube controller because of Melee. And you know what the funny thing is? He has a point because I saw a lot of people commenting on that saying that they really like the GameCube controller because of the 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 incredible experience that they had with melee so um quark is definitely 100 percent right with regards to that as i said november 21st mark that on your calendars so i want to switch gears and talk about the um wwe 2k15 season pass which of course nobody should be shocked was announced by 2k um this is actually going to expand on the gameplay for the 2k showcase single player campaign um They're not giving out the full details yet with regards to price, but I'm sure it's probably going to run you at least $24.99. The only thing I can tell you is that if you do purchase the season pass, you'll be able to use uh, former NXT Women's Champion, now WWE Diva, Paige. So if you're a fan of Paige and you want to use her in WWE 2K15 and you want to use her right away, you're going to have to plunk down some money 
uh, for a season pass to, to be able to use her. I have a feeling, though, that if you wait, you'll probably be able to pick her up solo in a roster update pack. But if you're one of those people that likes to get the complete experience, the season pass is happening, and one of the perks will be that you get Paige as one of the characters. Um, Quark adds season pass featuring more CM Punk. You know what's funny about that? CM Punk's feuds in that game for the single-player showcase mode, um, they're definitely front and center. So I have a feeling that he's had a lot of good feuds with a lot of great performers. So I'm sure they're going to probably slip one or two in there for a um, as a DLC perk as well. Mortis went on to add that no one plays the Divas in WWE 2K. You know what the sad part is? There's like four of them. So... <laughs> Excuse me. There's like four characters in there. So by the time you decide to play, you'll play the four. One of them, their finishing move is a slap. I think Stephanie McMahon, excuse me. Wow, I got the hiccups. That was terrible. Um, Stephanie McMahon, her finisher, I forgot in what game, used to be the slap, which is which is just terrible. But um, if you want to play as Paige, you can plunk down. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be 25 bucks. Oh, man, this fucking sucks. Hiccups. That's a little better. Uh, it's definitely going to be worth picking up if you're one of those people that wants the complete experience. Me personally, I would have rather pick up. I, w- I wanted to pick up the Hulk Hogan uh, special edition because it comes with a special um, NWO Hogan Funko, which I'm sure is going to be incredibly rare. But when I went to actually pre-order it, most of the pre-orders were sold out in a lot of locations uh, for the Hogan bundle. Um, if you're a true fan and you really want to pick that up and you pre-order it, I'm definitely a little jealous. Um, if you didn't pre-order it, then you're going to be shit out of luck unless you go to a third-party reseller or maybe a mom-and-pop shop that doesn't take any reserves because most retailers right now are completely sold out of the Hulkamania bundles. So we'll see what happens when the game drops in November. Just a quick reminder... The current-gen version, the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 versions of the game will be available on October 28th. But if you want to pick up the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One versions, you will need to wait till November. So make a note of that because I know a lot of people were like, yeah, I can't wait for the game. It comes out the 28th. And as soon as I told them not for PS4 or Xbox One, they were really, really pissed off. So uh, make a note of that so you do not... um, fall into that category because a lot of people were genuinely upset so this next bit of news i kind of want to touch on it for a couple of reasons i've talked about the the fact that nintendo has a great working relationship with sega and that nintendo should utilize the sonic character and do a complete mario and sonic you know typical side-scrolling game utilizing both characters and their respective roster additions you know shadow knuckles uh dr eggman i think it would yield an incredibly enjoyable game now as it turns out um archie comics is doing a comic book series of sonic the hedgehog and mega man now at first glance when i saw the comic i said this is just up this is just crazy but then as i looked through it and i saw some of the pictures and some of the preview images i realized that if you did a game of that scale, utilizing, like I said, a Mario and a Sonic, or, or, or characters that fall into that same dynamic, you're probably going to create a game that is a genuine bestseller. And, Matt, and like I said, and, and, 
and this is backtracking a little bit from when I talked about it a couple of weeks back, imagine being able to play a, a, a platforming Mario game, a regular run-of-the-mill Mario title with Mario and Sonic, and they have to stop you know, Bowser and Dr. Eggman from whatever it is, destroying the planet or some shit. If you, if you put out a game like that and it is well done, it will not only sell immediately, it will probably move systems. Because these are the things we talked about when we were kids. I mean, I see that Mortis in the chat, he references Captain N. And if you guys were, were 80s babies or even early 90s kids, you might remember Captain N Game Master, which had a lot of your favorite characters in one game. I mean, in one cartoon. And the funny thing is that that's what I'm saying. We've already seen stuff like Street Fighter Cross Tekken and the and the you know the fanfare that went into that, or Capcom and Marvel, or whatever the case may be. Those crossovers, those games, they really get people talking. I honestly feel that you know if Mega Man and Sonic the Hedgehog can cross over in a comic, how is it not possible to do that in a game? Especially considering that Sega's not even a hardware competitor anymore. I mean, if Sonic can show up in those stupid Olympic games, why can't you do a game with both characters together? I just feel that, you know, it's not, it's something that can be done, and if it's done right, it would be incredibly successful. That's all I'm saying. I think, um, you know, Archie Comics is on to something with um, Mega Man and Sonic sharing a comic together. I think there's a, there's a great story there, and if they were smart, they'd find a way to adapt that to a console release because I guarantee you if you do a Mario and Sonic game or even if you do a Mega Man and Sonic game based on the book you can do some incredible stuff I mean I, I, Mega Man and Sonic kind of kind of can work together also just because you know you're dealing with all the mechs and all the robots and you know Dr. Robotnik and Dr. Wily and Sigma depending on which characters you use there's actually a pretty a pretty easy there's actually an easy mythology there to tell a good story there definitely is mortis says um i would buy a mega man sonic crossover game in a heartbeat and you know it's it's funny because mortis you're saying that and the comic you know it's a 12 part issue um that it's called worlds collide mega man and sonic the hedgehog and um it was what's considered the largest crossover event in archie history and um they're gonna do a second one the first crossover series, if you want to pick it up, is the 12-part series from 2013, and now they're doing a new one, which is the one which is Worlds Unite. And like I said, that was what got me thinking about games that would work in a crossover fashion, but that are not fighting games. And Mario and Sonic and Sonic and Mega Man, I didn't actually even think of Sonic and Mega Man until I read, the, until I read through the books, and I saw it, and I was like, wow, this actually works pretty well. And if you use a good narrative, the game can definitely sell. Mortis says, as long as it's an adventure action game and not a party game. <laughs> and it's true, I agree. I think it would definitely sell. While we are on the subject of, um, you know, crossovers and, you know, I mentioned a couple of Capcom titles. Uh, Capcom actually announced at New York Comic Con today that Phoenix Wright uh, Ace Attorney Trilogy will be coming out for the Nintendo 3DS on December 9th here in North America, and on December 11th in Europe. So if you're a, a fan of the Phoenix Wright series and you want to pick it up on the 3DS, you'll be able to pick up the trilogy in December. Nice little bit of uh, news coming out of New York Comic Con. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was that they're doing the um, Lego Batman 3 Beyond Gotham 
and Stephen Amell, who many of you may recognize as Oliver Queen slash the Arrow on the Green Arrow TV series, is actually voicing Arrow, you know, the Green Arrow in the Lego Batman game as well, which is kind of cool. I think, um, you know, Stephen Amell is a guy that he's really embraced his role as the as as Green Arrow, and I really thought that it was, um, you know, it's one of those things where he did the voice work for Arrow in the DC game, and to see him also being um, acknowledged and utilized for the Lego Batman game is pretty cool as well. I, I do feel that the uh, television DC universe, uh, those actors, I you know, they're obviously not being paid as much as their big screen counterparts are actually doing better. Uh, they're doing their characters a service by expanding their talents into, obviously, the gaming realm. In, in Stephen Amell's case, he actually took it a step further because like i said he did the voice work for green arrow in injustice and then now he's lending his vocal talents to the lego batman games as well so definitely really cool stuff i was actually kind of pumped when i when i saw that because the lego the lego series games and i actually blame quark for this are incredibly enjoyable i didn't think they were anything worth talking about or looking at but I remembered how passionate and how and how much fun Quark was having uh, playing the last Lego game, uh, the Lego Batman game, and I was like, "Wow, that's that's pretty badass." I actually uh, played a little bit of it, and um, after he, he he recommended it and he was talking so highly of it, and I gotta admit that the uh, the brand new Lego Batman game looks incredibly fun. I'd probably pick it up if um, if time permits. So we'll see what happens, but it's pretty cool that they're allowing. Uh, guys like Stephen Amell, who knows, maybe Grant Gustin, who is doing The Flash, he may actually do the voice of The Flash as well. We'll see what happens, but I think it's a step in the right direction. It creates a synergy between the small screen characters, the big screen characters, and of course, the virtual characters as well. The only other thing that I wanted to discuss before closing things out um, is Xbox launching in China. Now, the funny thing is, Xbox launching in China had a better debut than it did in Japan. Now, obviously, there's a lot of different factors that can be associated with the success of, um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of things that can be taken into account with the success of the Xbox One's launch in China. But it's crazy that there's such a huge difference. According to uh, the Chinese website 17173, the Xbox One sold more than 100,000 units on its first day alone. Um, obviously, the Xbox One's launch was on September 29th, and um, like I said, 100,000 units is a very solid number versus when it dropped in Japan on September 4th. In the first week of sales, it only sold 23,000 units, obviously trailing the PlayStation 4 and the Wii U by a huge sales by a huge sales margin. Now, obviously, sales in successive weeks have been even lower than the 23,000. Now, when you look at that. You know, there's a lot of different things that can be attributed to that. Some people feel it's the library of games. I continue to stand by the fact that it's that the the Asian market is not going to be supportive of a product made here in the U.S. It pains me to say it, and I'd you know I'd love somebody if if they have an inside track to to give me some insight and prove me wrong. But I do feel that an American company creating an American console and releasing it in a market that's been dominated for the, for years by Sony and Nintendo is just not going to fare well. I, I definitely, you know, I got to give credit where credit is due. 
that they moved 100,000 units in China. For, you know, it's, it's a huge difference versus the, the 23,000 paltry units that they moved in Japan. But I will say this, whether the system gains traction in Japan or in China, I honestly feel is irrelevant because if the library of games is not engaging enough to move systems, it's not going to matter where you release it if you don't have the games to back it up. It's as simple as that. Think about it. You, you release a game in Japan and you release the system in Japan and you don't release a good RPG or a, a storied franchise that the Japanese players may be, may be excited to get their hands on. No, you release the stuff that you released here that people don't really give a shit about. You know, do you think that the Japanese audience is going to give a shit about Rise? No, they're not. It's not going to happen. And this is partially the reason why. It's like, I remember when they tried to, to, to gain traction in Japan, they released Blue Dragon. And Blue Dragon wasn't the best RPG. It wasn't even, you know, in the top five of greatest RPGs of all time. But at least it showed that they were trying to, to gain a foothold in that niche. It's the same thing. If you're releasing a game in the UK, you know that they're expecting a good football game, you know, a.k.a. soccer. In the UK, you know that that's a, that's a, that's a big market. And that's something that's going to move units. In Japan, you're going to expect good soccer games, uh, good RPGs, maybe a good fighting game, maybe a good racing game. That's the that's the kind of stuff. Call of Duty, even though first person shooter games are are well received, it's not it's not the same like here in the states. And Quark Quark says Blue Dragon was such a disappointment. I, I you know I wish that the phones were working because I'd I'd like to dig a little deeper into that. But what Quark says is a hundred percent true. Every person who was a hardcore RPG fan, and I'm talking about the guys that played every version of Final Fantasy, every every Japanese RPG game, they all said the same thing. It was like Blue Dragon was Microsoft grasping at straws because they didn't understand the way JRPGs work. And it was weird because more and more people started telling me the same thing. They're like, hey, they didn't understand how Japanese role-playing games work. They figured oh, we'll use th these type of sprites and we'll tell this type of story and it'll work. It's not just a one, you know, turn the key and open the door scenario. On the contrary, when you're looking at games like that, like Blue Dragon, uh, Final Fantasy, games games like that, Legend of Dragoon, um, you know, I'm dating myself a little bit. You look at games like that, uh, Chrono Trigger, and you realize that there's not only uh, amazing gameplay, but there's a deep narrative. There's characters that people connect with. And Blue Dragon, I just felt that it was just Microsoft trying to gain some traction as best as they could. And they didn't even create characters that were endearing, much less engaging. It's different when you look at games like Final Fantasy, um, Final Fantasy especially. You know, there's always characters that people can relate to, they can connect with, whether it's, you know, characters like Cloud... Sephiroth, uh, Leon, um, you know, any of those characters, Chocobos, you know, there's always somebody that likes Chocobos or, you know, Kaith Sith, whatever the case may be, they're creating characters that people can, they can feel something for. And, you know, with that said, it's like the, the Japanese, the Japanese saw right through Microsoft's attempt and they let them know it. And the reason, and the way they let them know it was by not investing in this new system. They didn't release any games that even remotely fell into the genre that would get Japanese that, that would get Japanese gamers interested. I really felt that, that was just poor execution. 
poor execution completely. Meanwhile, on the flip side, you you know, Sony says, hey, we're going to release a new Final Fantasy. Everybody jumps on it immediately. Everybody. Because people know what they're going to get. They know. And, you know, you could say, oh, well, we're going to put Metal Gear on Xbox One. Okay, big fucking deal. You know, it's probably going to be a better game on the PlayStation 4 due to exclusives or anything else. And this is something I've talked about at length in previous episodes. At the end of the day, the console wars are a level playing field. The only difference, the only the only difference between them all is the games that they're offering and the exclusives that they bring to the table. Everything else is a level playing field. All the systems have Netflix, all the systems have cameras, all the systems have HDMI. All the systems have Blu-ray. It's a level playing field. The only things that differ are the programming that they offer, the unique programming, and the uh, the exclusive games that they're getting. I mean, right now, there's a rumor floating around that PlayStation 4 is going to get their version of GTA 5 two weeks before it arrives on Xbox One due to some exclusivity agreement between Sony and Rockstar. Again, that's a rumor, but you see... In that instance, people that have a PlayStation 4 are feeling that they're being rewarded for, for just supporting the system. They get to play the next-gen version of GTA 5 well before Xbox One gamers can enjoy it. And this is what I'm saying. It is a level playing field. It's only about exclusivity and first-party titles, games that the other guy doesn't have. You know, Microsoft thought, oh, we're going to buy Minecraft. Great. That's great, you know, they, they got Minecraft, that's fantastic. But you know what? It's not about Minecraft, it's about going beyond Halo. You know, that's that's really it. When you think Microsoft, you think Halo, and that's pretty much it. I hate to say it, but it's true. Everything else associated with Xbox is multi-platform, with the exception of, you know, unique titles like Gears of War and Halo. That's it. Everything else is fair game. Meanwhile, on the Sony side, you got, you know, you got God of War, you got Resistance, you got Drake's, uh, you know, Uncharted, you have all these different games, you have Infamous, you have a larger library of games that have a bigger fan base. You can't expect to sell units across the world with with Gears of War and, and Master Chief. I hate to break it to you. It's not going to work. It is not going to work. You have to look at your audience and realize that you it's not one size fits all. I know a lot of guys that hate first person shooters. I know a lot of guys that hate RPGs. Hell, I know a lot of guys that could give two shits about sports games. That's it's that it's that type of a dynamic. If you want to gain the upper hand, you need to have diversity and you need to have a genre of games that's not one size fits all. It's, you know, everybody can play whatever game they're interested in. And, you know, Quark brings up something interesting. He says Nintendo is the king of exclusives, though, which is the funniest thing. But you know what? The what's crazy about it? Nintendo's exclusivity still offers something for everyone. If you like the racing games, you're going to play Mario Kart. If you like the platforming games, yeah, you're still going to play Mario. If you like the RPG-type elements and, and you know, you're going to play Legend of Zelda. If you want a little first-person shooter action, maybe you might want to mess with Metroid if they switch it to first-person shooter. You know, I'm just using that as an example. Plus, obviously, whatever third-party titles they pick up along the way, but even Nintendo in its, in its walled garden atmosphere, they do have something for everyone. They do. 
Nintendo in its walled garden atmosphere has something for everyone. It's as simple as that. You you got racing stuff for racing games. You got RPG stuff. You got platforming stuff. You got really simple kids games. You got family friendly games. You're starting to get into a little bit of the first person shooter. I really want to play the um the first person shooter that they showed at E3 with the squids. Um, not it's not first person. It's a third person. I really like that. I thought that was really cool with the inked squids and you got to paint up the room. I thought it was the the title escapes me, but it was. It was probably one of the games that sold me as soon as I saw it. I said, wow, this concept is really cool. It looks really fun. And if you get a couple of people in the house, you could have a blast with this game. You know, so Nintendo definitely, they're doing it right because their exclusives still offer something for everyone. Microsoft, eh, it's a work in progress, folks. Simple as that. All right. So with that said, that is going to wrap up the gaming news for this week. Um, let's get into the entertainment news. There's a lot of stuff to discuss. We got a lot of Marvel stuff that's going to ruffle some feathers. We got some what the fuck movie news this week, which I definitely, and some what the fuck TV news, which I definitely want to hear your thoughts on. Let's get into this week's entertainment news, shall we? Alright, so we got a brand new promo code from our friends at Superhero Stuff. I'm super pumped. Um, Want to share this with you guys first. Uh, this week's entertainment segment is brought to you by SuperheroStuff.com. Make sure to get the best and greatest superhero gear by heading over to SuperheroStuff.com and using the code 14MTR. Again, the promo code for the month of October is 14MTR. We're going to be sharing that going forward actually yeah it is uh M excuse me it's not a 14 mtr it's mtr 14 if you want to get uh 14 off your order the promo code is mtr 14 and we will be putting that in the show notes all right so let's get into the entertainment news for this week we got a lot of awesome stuff on deck a lot of crazy news there's a ton a ton of marvel news some of it is going to piss some of you off some of it is going to give you guys some hope and um, let's get to it. So the big news this week is Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. has been making the rounds, trying to do press for his new film, The Judge, starring him and the always impressive Robert Duvall. But the problem is that for as much as people want to look at Robert Downey Jr. as an actor, there's always the cloud of him always being Tony Stark. And the reason I say this is because Every time he tried to do press for the judge, everybody had a question about Iron Man. And if I were if I were Robert Downey Jr., I'd be a little pissed off because it's like, listen, I'm trying to promote this movie. I understand you guys love Iron Man and you think it's awesome, but I'm an actor and I do other shit. I mean, that that happened to Christian Bale. That happens to a lot of actors that just become synonymous with their superhero alter egos. And it's kind of cool, but... You know, it's cool when it's a kid and stuff like that. But when it's a, a, a genuine uh, journalist that's sitting there and he's like, so, um, yeah, you know, you're doing the judge with Robert Duvall. But um, I wanted to ask, are we ever going to see you don, don, you know, don the Iron Man suit ever again? And he's just like, oh. so the reason this picked up 
was because he was on the first time they asked him about it. He said that he would do another Iron Man film if it was directed by Mel Gibson. Now, obviously, that could have been tongue in cheek. It could have been serious. But everybody automatically jumped right to their keyboards. Oh, Robert Downey Jr. said he'd do another Iron Man if Mel Gibson directed it. He could have been trolling. Maybe not. But then he went and he did Ellen DeGeneres' show and he said that he was going to do Iron Man 4. Of course, everybody fucking squeed and and creamed in their collective shorts. And then, of course, he went to other shows and he kind of backpedaled and he said, no, maybe, etc., etc. And I'll be honest, if Robert Downey Jr. was doing an Iron, another Iron Man film, we did we don't deserve to hear about it. Not yet. The guy is trying to promote the judge. And that's the problem. Like, I saw when one of the sites posted it on Facebook, I believe it was, I want to say it was Film Drunk, which is a great site, or one of the, or one of the other, one of the other niche sites that I like to read, that they, that they shared it. A couple of people were like, well, why doesn't Robert Downey Jr. cut the shit? And he's, um, you know, why don't, why doesn't Robert Downey Jr. cut the shit and just say that he's going to be Iron Man again? And that, and when I saw that, it got me thinking. And I said, listen, if I were Robert Downey Jr., I'd lie to everybody. I would lie to everybody because that's not the movie I'm trying to promote. And it's unfortunate. And it's happened to Christian Bale, and now it's ha- happening to Robert Downey Jr. And I'll be honest, if he does another Iron Man, great. If he doesn't, what are we going to do? And and the funny thing is, it's not like Tobey Maguire, where Tobey Maguire is like, I don't want to be Spider-Man anymore. And what the fuck has Tobey Maguire done since not doing Spider-Man? See, actors like Christian Bale, actors like Robert Downey Jr., their skill set, their range is on a whole other... It's in a whole other planet. So these guys could do other films. And obviously, it's very easy to complain that they're not playing Iron Man or not playing Batman. But what this does is it allows somebody new to create their own vision. Don't get me wrong. Robert Downey Jr. embodies everything that makes Tony Stark effective on screen. But if the guy doesn't want to do it or, or the studios don't want to pay, it's, it's a little tough. The only thing that works in Robert Downey Jr.'s favor, and I've said this before, is that the Iron Man films make Disney and Marvel a shitload of money. They're the only standalone superhero franchise that goes into, you know, the billion dollar mark. Which, you know, if you're Robert Downey Jr., you got full control at that point. Because it is the only solo film. Not the Captain, not Thor, not, you know, not the Incredible Hulk. Even though those movies have made record-breaking number, they've made record-breaking amounts of money. But Robert Downey Jr. can stake his claim that the Iron Man franchise can generate a billion dollars like this in the blink of an eye. It's insane. And because of that... He, he kind of can he can make the rules and I'm sure that Marvel was like hey man you know are, are you interested in doing another Iron Man and he was probably like listen I want to do some other projects and you know we'll talk about it so it sucks because like I said he can't even promote a movie like the judge without it falling into are you gonna be Iron Man again and him just like oh shit and I and I genuinely feel bad for the dude but we'll see what happens whether we get an Iron Man 4 or not we know that he's gonna be in Avengers 2. And I believe he is also signed for Avengers 3, and I think that would be it. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I really I don't mind either way. I like Robert Downey Jr. I think he's amazing as Tony Stark. I think he's amazing in every Iron Man film. 
But if the guy doesn't want to do it, he doesn't want to do it. Simple as that. Um, Mortis said that he also said that he would be interested in doing a Sherlock 3. And the funny thing is, I, I really, really, really enjoyed uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s work in Sherlock Holmes. It was, without a doubt, some of his most amazing work away from, from Iron Man, of course. Uh, one, because it, he had great chemistry with Jude Law. But two, just everything, the set pieces, the music, everything about it was was solid. It was just a solid and, and, and super enjoyable films. So if he does a third one, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind a third Sherlock Holmes, especially if it's done in the same style and he's working with Jude Law. The chemistry there and the stories that are told are tremendous. Simple as that. Mortis also added that the judge looks pretty decent. The judge does look decent. If if I wasn't going to see Dracula this weekend, I would probably see the judge just because it looks good. And I and I like Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall, the older he gets, it's just he does some amazing stuff on screen. He is an amazing actor. And I think sharing the sharing the screen with a guy of the, you know, a guy of the caliber of Robert Downey Jr. is just going to give us probably some of the best performances on screen to date. But We'll see what happens. I know the judge will probably pull in some decent money. Obviously, it's not gonna it's not gonna set the the box office on fire, but I hope that it does a little decent bank at least. All right. So the first bit of what the fuck movie news involves the Rock. Now, many of you know that listened to the show yesterday that the Rock showed up on Monday Night Raw, had a couple of laughs, told a couple of jokes, uh, pretty much disma- verbally dismantled uh, Rusev during the broadcast, but we know that The Rock is doing Shazam. He's doing a couple of other movies. But out of nowhere, we found out that The Rock is going to be doing a reboot of Baywatch. Yeah, that Baywatch. Red swimsuits running down the beach in slow motion. The Rock is attached to be in Baywatch. Now, obviously, at first glance, you read that and you cringe. But... It appears that they're looking to do it in the style that they did 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street. You know, just tongue-in-cheek, real funny, uh, extra comedic, etc., etc. But um, the thing that gets me is that this totally went under the radar. Like, nobody knew that they were going to do a Baywatch reboot. And the fact that they did it, The Rock committed to it, and he actually promoted it on Twitter just blew my mind. Because I understand 22 Jump Street, 21 Jump Street, they made serious money. But it's Baywatch. The only thing that, that makes the movie possibly possibly be destined for success is the screen presence of The Rock. Because if you watch uh, Pain and Gain, which is an incredibly underrated but extremely enjoyable film, you'll understand that The Rock, you wouldn't think that a movie about bodybuilders you know, robbing people would be as as enjoyable and as funny as it was and that's just a testament to the rock as um as a performer just being able to work in any situation i mean one of the one of the times that i felt the rock turned in a great performance was in the sequel to get shorty which was be cool where he played a um a gay he, he played a gay enforcer he was um a bodyguard who happened to be gay and the funny thing was that he, he really looked like he had a good time with the role. It was funny. He had great presence. He had, you know, just, just great command of the screen. And I remember when I saw the movie, I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, you see that film, you go, oh, you know, it's The Rock. He's playing, he's playing a gay dude. But it wasn't even that. You, 
his his performance was so enjoyable that you look past the character he was playing because he was just so funny. It was legit and it worked. If you watch him in um what the hell was the one with uh Will Farrell and Mark Wahlberg? Slick likes this fucking movie. I fucking hated it. But he was um The Rock was in that with Samuel L. Jackson and and the uh, the minimal amount of time that they were on screen was tremendous. It was it was great chemistry. So you know the Baywatch, the Baywatch thing. You look at it, you cringe. You know, you definitely get a little nauseous. But who knows? It might, it might be amusing. I mean, Twenty One Jump Street wasn't exactly setting the screen on fire, but I did laugh a few times. And Twenty Two Jump Street, I did laugh a few times. But that was also because they realized exactly what they were doing, and the film did not take itself seriously. If Baywatch follows the same suit, thank you, Slick. The other guys. If Baywatch follows the same suit. It'll, it, it may do well. We'll see what happens, and I'm curious to see who they're going to put on screen with him that's going to play off of his, his, his presence because that's usually how it works. The Rock usually works best with, um, you know, with guys that can enhance his comedic presence. Like, honestly, I, um, I wouldn't mind seeing him, Mark Wahlberg, in that film because it would be a good buddy comedy, and I think that they just bring the best out of each other after the work that they did in uh, pain and gain slick writes in the comments that rich hates comedies <laughs> i don't hate comedies dude i just my vision of comedy your vision of comedy and probably everybody in the chat has a different vision of what they deem comedic you know i like george carlin some people don't i like sam kinnison some people don't i like louis ck some people don't same thing jim norton uh, one of my favorites, one of my favorite comedians. Not everybody likes the humor. Same thing with the movies. Some movies, some people, like like me, I like Dogma. I thought Dogma was a great movie. I love watching it. But my brother, uh, being a hardcore Catholic, gets offended. I used to watch it when we had a, uh, the TV downstairs. And he'd be like, what are you watching? He'd be like, oh, what are you watching? Uh, Dogma. And he'd just be like, ugh. And he'd just walk out of the room because, you know, it's... It's such a it's such a a, a big sh- a big shit show with regards to you know Catholicism and my brother being legitimately Catholic. It was it was you know it was funny for me at least. Uh, Mortis brings up dodgeball is the best comedy. If you disagree with me, then you're wrong. Dodgeball. Here's the funny thing, and and you know we're gonna go off the rails a little bit. Um, dodgeball was funny, but it got funnier with repeated viewing. Like, I watched it the first time, and it was an incredibly quotable movie. Like, I, I, like I found myself saying, ah, it was all right. And then, you know, it's me quoting White Goodman or, you know, me quoting some, some, some crazy thing, Steve the Pirate or whatever. And, and it was, it was it, that's how that movie grew on me. Same thing with Anchorman. Anchorman, the first time I watched it, I fucking hated it. Hated it. But then... After repeated viewings, you know, you start quoting the movie and it becomes like a guilty pleasure. Don't get me wrong. Anchorman wasn't the best fucking comedy ever, but it, it was amusing. And yes, like I know you were <laughs> I knew you were messing with me. Um, I have watched the uh, slick says you should watch the other guys again. I have watched the other guys again and I found sections of it to be funny. Like I said, the rock and Samuel L. Jackson was great. Uh, Gator better have his fucking Gator's bitches better be uh, get guys or whatever the the jimmies with gators bitches that was a funny moment you know stuff like that was funny um you know michael keaton doing the 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 tlc references was funny inside humor it was funny um but some movies i just i just can't do i just can't do it but 
going going into comedies, the next bit of news is our what the fuck TV news of the week. And you guys are going to love this. Entertainment Weekly reports that CBS has done a pilot commitment to do a TV series based on Rush Hour. Now, if you guys remember, Rush Hour starred Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker, and it went on to do, you know, some great money in the box office and cranked out two additional sequels. Now, it looks like they're going to try and recapture that magic on the small screen. So, there you have it. Not only that, but Brett Ratner is attached to executive produce the project. So, Rush Hour on the small screen. First of all, the comedy that was used in Rush Hour is not good for broadcast television. If you're going to do Rush Hour, you could do it on Showtime, you could do it on FX, you could do it on AMC, but on CBS, it is not going to work. You can't get away with that subtle racist humor. You can't. You can't get away with it. People are going to get pissed off. They're going to get offended because people don't have the same thick skin now that they did back in the day. They don't got it. It does not exist. But yes, ladies and gentlemen, a Rush Hour TV series is going to happen. I can't even believe I couldn't even believe it when I read it until I saw that it was coming from Entertainment Weekly, which, you know, is is legitimate when it comes to that stuff. That is insane. <laughs> Slick says I officially teabagged this project. You, you know what the thing is? I, I like the Rush Hour films. I, I always found them amusing. They had a really great soundtrack. But do you think? For one second, that that movie would translate well into a uh, into a police procedural that's done weekly. I don't think so. How many stories can you tell? You know, Chinese people being smuggled, um, crime in the hood. You know, uh, black jokes, Chinese jokes, height jokes. You know, soul food jokes, Chinese food jokes. It's all the stuff that made Rush Hour funny back then. You can't get away with the shit now. You can't. Mortis says, and this is exactly it, there are just so many racial jokes that you can use in one movie before it just stops being funny. That is exactly the problem. That is exactly the problem that would happen with a Rush Hour TV show. It would be that they would they would blow their load on jokes within the first five episodes, and then it would suck. Slick Slick brings it home, and, and you know we'll move on after this. He says, you know what movie I loved? Full Metal Jacket. Would it make a good TV show? No. <laughs> I fall into that camp too. I like Casualties of War with uh, Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox. Great movie. Would it make a good show? Absolutely not. Never in a million years. So if you're interested in picking up Guardians of the Galaxy on DVD or Blu-ray, obviously you will be ready to pick that up on November 18th. But uh, on digital HD, it's going to be released on November 18th. But here's the kicker. You're definitely going to want to pick it up because you're going to get an exclusive first look at the Avengers Age of Ultron. So uh, who knows? Maybe they'll put that um, that Comic-Con trailer that they that they didn't share with the general public. Maybe they'll put it in the DVD Blu-ray release of Guardians of the Galaxy. So if you are trying to find some stuff on Avengers Age of Ultron and you're already picking up Guardians of the Galaxy or you're on the fence about it, I recommend you definitely do pick it up so you can see what Marvel has in store for fans with regards to Avengers Age of Ultron. All right, let's move into some box office totals. Uh, A couple of surprising showings this weekend. 
uh, this past weekend. Number one at the box office was Gone Girl, which I'm not shocked because they, they had an incredible campaign blitz for Gone Girl. Everybody was talking about it because people were reading the book. People were, you know, Ben Affleck was going out of his way to really promote it right. And even even that movie. I'll say this. When Ben Affleck was promoting Gone Girl, he was still being asked about Batman versus Superman. And what he did was he he he, he had to navigate the questioning to to bring it back to the movie that he was there to promote. And obviously this is going to be the trend that um that's going to be happening for the foreseeable future, but Gone Girl is based on on a, on a very very solid book. Everybody's telling me to read it. I'm going to try and pick it up. Uh, this weekend, and I'm going to try and read it because the movie looks genuinely good. Uh, the movie made $38 million. Uh, Annabelle came in at number two, earning $37.2 million. And I just want to put this in perspective because Annabelle didn't. It, Annabelle probably cost, you know, a, a, a 20, maybe a 10 million. It was a $10 million film, probably. And it already made $37.2 million. In other words, Gone Girl took the number one slot just barely, which is crazy. I thought Gone Girl was directed by David Fincher, Mortis. I know that Kevin Smith did Tusk. I don't think Kevin Smith did Gone Girl. I think David Fincher, who did Fight Club, did Gone Girl, if I'm correct. Um, Slick, if you get a chance, can you IMDB that for me and let me know? Uh, Anyway. As I was saying, Gone Girl was number one. Annabelle was number two. The Equalizer came in at number three, earning an additional $19 million, bringing its grand total to $64.5 million. Uh, the Box Trolls was number four. The Maze Runner came in at number five. Left Behind was number six. This Is Where I Leave You was number seven. Dolphin Tale 2 was number eight. Guardians of the Galaxy, still holding on, brought in an additional $3 million, bringing its grand total to $323.4 million. And last but not least, No Good Deed came in at number five, earning $2.5 million, $50.2 million total for the Idris Elba thriller. So um, pretty solid weekend at the box office. I definitely, I'm going to try and go see Dracula this weekend. I do want to check it out. I know it's rated PG-13, but... The reason I want to check it out is because Universal is using this version of Dracula to relaunch their Universal Monsters line. So I want to see how this film is going to set that up. And everybody says that the that the credits and the end of the movie sets that up a bit. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I'm either going to try and see that or I'm going to see the Equalizer. And hopefully I can have a review set up for that this weekend. Um, so the next bit of news are definitely rumors and i want you guys to to really uh think of it this way because it definitely sounds plausible but again it may not be 100 percent true first thing is there's a rumor that avengers 3 may not feature the original avengers team that's number one number two is the rumor that they're going to split it into two parts um i don't know how legitimate that's going to be but According to what's been reported, after Avengers Age of Ultron, Chris Evans has two more films on his contract, while Robert Downey Jr. has only one. It is unknown how many Chris Hemsworth has, but he is believed to be near the end of his contract. According to what they're saying, they're going to use that film to bring in characters like Doctor Strange and Ant-Man. I don't know how legitimate that is, and you can take that for what it's worth, 
but it's interesting that they're contemplating not only using a completely different team, but possibly splitting the film into two movies. Now, that's one rumor. Allow me to give you a crazier rumor. As many of you know, a lot of Marvel's properties are spread out. Obviously, Disney has the Avengers and all that. Uh, Sony has Spider-Man. Fox has X-Men and the Fantastic Four. So it seems, and this rumor has been picking up a lot of steam the last couple of days, that Sony and Marvel have been in negotiations to bring Spider-Man into the Marvel Universe. Now, again, this is a rumor, but thinking about it, if you're going to have brand new Avengers, what better way to have new Avengers than bringing, than bringing Spider-Man into the fold? Spider-Man is a, a member of the Avengers. I think it would work, and it would be amazing. No pun intended. Again, this is a rumor, but this is a rumor that's been picking up a lot of steam, and it seems that Sony really wants to try and work it out and get Spider-Man involved. And, and personally, I think that's, that's pretty badass if they do that. I mean, uh, Hugh Jackman, he spoke about this at length, and he said that all, all our properties should exist in a unified universe. And, all, and if it's a question of money, then the studio should split whatever profits they have. And it's exactly what Mortis just said. Sony wants some Marvel film money. On top of that, Sony's, um, Sony's relationship with the Spider-Man franchise is not as good as, as it's being led to believe. Uh, right now, everybody was on pins and needles about the Venom movie, but it looks like the Venom movie is not going to happen. On the contrary, there's a rumor going out that Sony is considering doing a soft reboot of the Spider-Man franchise, and, and they may even recast uh, Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker and, and go forward with an amazing Spider-Man that is completely new that will appear in the Sinister Six film. Now, the thing that bothers me about this is Andrew Garfield loves the character, does a great job as Peter Parker, he's a very good Spider-Man, and the only thing that Andrew Garfield has done wrong is that he's been vocal about what he feels could have made the movies better. He doesn't, he doesn't dislike being Spider-Man. He just knows that there's certain things that would make the films better. And don't, don't get me wrong. The Spider-Man reboot, uh, you know, the first and the second film have been good, but there's always room for improvement. There's room for improvement in every film. But now it's like Sony is so scared that they're willing to lend Spider-Man to Marvel just so that they can get some money out of the deal. And it's truly unfortunate because Spider-Man has such a deep mythology. He has so many great characters, not only villains, but also secondary characters, tertiary characters that really add to the dynamic. And Sony just continues to drop the ball. I don't understand what they're scared of. I think that the problem is that Sony wants to bring, you know, guys like Venom to the big screen and they want to have them on screen before establishing a mythology. And this is where companies like Sony and Fox, they've lost their way. If you look at the Marvel Universe established by Disney, they set it up piece by piece, piece by piece. You watch The Incredible Hulk, Robert Downey Jr. shows up at the end. You watch Captain America, Nick Fury shows up there. He sets that up for the Avengers. You watch Thor, etc., etc., etc. And when you look at that, you realize that every film created a piece for another film 
And when it all came together, you had a completely established universe that really just fit perfectly together. Don't get me wrong. It's not it's obviously it's not as seamless as the comic universe because it's you know, it's live action and it requires a lot more work, but it's as seamless as it's going to get. I knew that this that Sony's uh, work with Spider-Man was was a was a disaster when they're already talking about mo- doing movies like the Sinister Six and Venom and all this other stuff instead of focusing on the one property that matters, Spider-Man, you know? Slick says, don't give them bitches credit. Disney did not set that up. No, I'm not saying Disney did. I'm just saying that the overall universe was established over the course of those films. You know what I mean? Each film set up a little nugget that when you pieced it all together, the puzzle just looked complete. In Sony's case, like I said, you know, Spider-Man has a great universe and you haven't even expanded it to the point where you can do more with it and you're already jumping ahead saying you're going to do a Venom movie and a Sinister Six. It just doesn't make any sense that they would do that. And I think that Sony is scared. And Sony knows that if they don't put out Spider-Man movies, they're going to lose the rights. And I guarantee you, the minute that those rights are up for grab, Marvel's going to grab them like this. Because that is the tentpole. Spider-Man is marvel you know what i mean like when you look at marvel and you look at the universe as a whole spider-man has his webs in everything whether he's part of the fantastic four or an avenger or a teacher at the x mansion like what's been happening in the um you know in the books now currently uh the spider-verse series there's so much mythology there's so much storytelling you could do on the big screen and sony is just scared because they want to do so much with the character that they're ruining it at the same time you know we've talked about amazing spider-man 3 and how you know they forced venom into the movie and the movie just sucked and that's the kind of thing that the studio keeps trying to do they're like oh we want to create this this giant universe but you got to do it piece by piece by piece and it's funny uh the next bit of news i want to talk about is something that slick brought up which is that marvel may be um canceling the fantastic four comic and allegedly the logic behind that is that they want the brand new fantastic four reboot to fail they want it to fail because it's not the vision that marvel and disney feel is correct for marvel's first family i don't know if it's true You can take that rumor with a grain of salt, but I wouldn't be shocked. I would not be shocked because the way I see it is Marvel and Disney realize that they need to get all their stuff in-house. They need to get it in-house because it's the only way to continue cranking out money, you know, the cash machine that is the Marvel Universe. Mortis adds, I still think that there should eventually be a Spider-Man Blade crossover with Morbius as the villain. You know what? That would work, but here's the problem. Blade, the rights to Blade went back to Marvel, but Spider-Man obviously is stuck with Sony. And this is what I'm saying. For the time being, we're going to have to wait and see, but I do like that Sony is actually entertaining lending Marvel Spider-Man. And here's the funny thing. When I read the article, I said, oh, Sony's going to be gracious enough to lend Marvel Spider-Man, even though Spider-Man is their fucking character. Simple as that. The way I see it is, let's, let's strive for a unified Marvel Universe and find a way to make the dollars and cents add up to where everybody benefits. Because I'll be honest, if Sony lends Spider-Man to Marvel, and and you use Spider-Man in an Avengers film, and that movie makes a billion, two billion, 
$3 billion, everybody wins. Whether Sony's making the money on the front end or on the back end from the box office numbers, everybody wins. The Avengers film made a, over a billion dollars, you know? Like, it's crazy to me. It is crazy. Mortis, I don't know if you if you caught a couple of weeks back, they got Blade, Punisher, and Ghost Rider back, and I said that they should uh, create a Marvel Knights uh, film studio for all the darker heroes so that they could do those R-rated films and not be pigeonholed by PG-13. You know, you create a Marvel Knights imprint, you do the same page turning that Marvel does, but just the darker stuff, Blade, Ghost Rider, you know, Johnny Blaze, all those other characters, and then you can do that and create just a, a separate studio, just Marvel Knights Studios, which is going to handle all those darker characters. I think it would be a great thing to get those guys back on screen and in a unified universe. Blade has met the Punisher. The Punisher has met Ghost Rider. All that stuff has happened. You know, it would, it would, you know, it would, it would definitely work. But again, it's a pissing contest. We'll see what the deal is. As soon as I hear more, obviously, I will share it with you guys. Um, Mortis said they could do a Thunderbolts movie with the Punisher, Ghost Rider, Red Hulk, and try to get Venom. That's true. That is true. Uh, Slick adds, Superior Spider-Man is an easy trilogy, especially considering they want to reboot. This is true. That's a that's a that's a good way to go about it. But that's a lot. That's very very recent, and they'd have to establish Doctor Octopus first. But I actually like that idea, and it's actually a way to 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 reinvigorate the franchise by doing something a little different. You know, Slick says, movie one is introduced, beaten badly. Something happens where he's dying. Yeah, movie two, he schemes and transfers his mind into Peter. Obviously, movie three will be superior Spider-Man. Um, I, I like the concept. I think it would work. I definitely think it would work. But, again, as of right now, this is a big, big, big rumor. Take that with a grain of salt. But if I hear anything else, you guys will be the first to know. Now, the next bit of small screen news. If you guys thought that the Rush Hour... Uh, TV series was was cringeworthy. Uh, ABC is looking to do a multi-camera based TV series based on the John Hughes film Uncle Buck, which many of you may remember with the late great John Candy. It looks like they're going to try and do that for the small screen. Why? I don't know. Uncle Buck was a was a comedy classic. Um, I love I love John Candy. I love a lot of his movies. And to turn that into a TV show and not do it any justice is just an insult to the memory of, of a very, very great comedian. I mean, John Candy from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, his uh, his cameo in, in National Lampoon's Vacation, uh, one of my favorite movies that he did, Who's Harry Crumb? Again, these are movies that exist in their own little universe, in their own little niche, and to try and turn it into a TV series that may or may not you know, be successful is a waste of time. Create something new. Create something unique. I understand that you're, you know, you guys are done raping and pillaging um, the comic book genre for TV series, but at least, you know, come up with something a bit more original. You're going to try and create a, a TV series based on Uncle Buck. What do you, what are you going to do? You're going to have different episodes with the kids getting into some shit and him finding a way to remedy the situation with his sharp wit and 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 you know, crass humor. Come on, guys. Come on. This makes no sense to go that route. But what can you do? So the last bit of movie news I wanted to talk about, and this is going to... This was met with a lot of negative publicity, but 
I personally don't see a problem with this, and that is that they're going to do a brand new Ghostbusters, which is going to be considered um, a brand new film, has no association with the existing Ghostbusters uh, franchise, and is going to have a team of female Ghostbusters. Now, it's very easy for you to hear that and get upset, but I'll be honest, Dan Aykroyd doesn't want to do it, Harold Ramis passed away, Bill Murray doesn't want to do it, Ernie Hudson will gladly take a paycheck. So why are you going to force these guys to do this film to possibly pass the torch and the movie suck? So it looks like all signs are pointing to a brand new Ghostbusters film with female Ghostbusters. I don't I don't really feel upset about it. I'm not even annoyed about it. I think that the concept itself might be might be interesting if you get the right women involved. I think that's that's the bigger the bigger elephant in the room ensuring that you have uh, women with uh, great comedic timing. That's that's pretty much it. So before I wrap it up, I'm going to pose the question to you guys. If you can cast four uh, funny, funny comedians for Ghostbusters, obviously all women, who would you choose? I would probably go. um, I'd probably want Mindy Kaling. Cause she's she's pretty funny. Um, I'd probably I'd probably want to go Kristen Wiig, uh, Melissa McCarthy, and uh, you know what she she she's funny when she wants to be. I'd probably go Sandra Bullock, Melissa McCarthy, uh, Kristen Wiig, and Mindy Kaling would be my choices. I I, I feel that each of those women complement each other well, and I think that it gives it it's you know diverse enough but amusing enough that it might work on the big screen but again i pose it to you guys in the chat and obviously i'm going to pose it also on our facebook fan page because i'm curious to see what you guys say i'm not mad about them uh doing a brand new ghostbusters with women because the way i said the way i see it like i said you're going to force these old guys to to don the suits again to pass the friend the torch to some new guys that may or may not want to do the film it may not be as funny and it would just really just bastardize the series. So instead, a brand new Ghostbusters with a brand new cast, even if you're going all women, fuck it. Or even if you want to do mixed gender, uh, male and female Ghostbusters, I'll take it either way. But don't don't ruin it, you know? Simple as that. Mortis says Ellen DeGeneres, Rosie O'Donnell, Whoopi Goldberg, and Charlize Theron. You're welcome. You know what the funny thing is? If, if Whoopi Goldberg, Rosie O'Donnell, and Ellen DeGeneres were about 20 years younger, it would work. I think Whoopi Goldberg as a fucking Ghostbuster would be amazing. I love Whoopi Goldberg's movies. My, uh, one of my favorites, uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash and um, Burglar, are. I actually own those. I own those on VHS, and I own them on really shitty DVDs in cardboard boxes. I love Burglar, and um, you know, I, I, thought, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, you know, the thing that gets me, you know, 20 years ago, definitely could have worked. Rosie O'Donnell is funny. And I think that Rosie O'Donnell 20 years ago would have worked. Same thing with Ellen DeGeneres. They're they're All three women are very, very funny. I just feel that it would have been 20 years too late. But you know what, Mortis, you are onto something because those are, those are solid casting. That's solid casting. Charlize Theron. Um, yeah, you know, you want to get the pretty face in there. I, I don't know about Charlize Theron's comedic timing. I mean, you know, if you want to get pretty, you could do 
shitty ass Catherine Heigl, who I hate. Leslie Leslie Ban, who who I can't stand. Um, yeah, so Heigl, Leslie Mann, um, Meg, Meg from uh, what the Mila Kunis, and um, uh, Mila Kunis. I can only come up with three. Ah, Sarah Silverman. That's a good one. Sarah Sarah Silverman's a good one, Mortis. I don't know why you wouldn't use her. I think Sarah Silverman would be would be pretty funny, man. I think her humor is is crass, but but deadpan enough that it would work. Charlize was funny in that. All right, I'll I'll check it out. I know A Million Ways to Die in the West hasn't come out yet, but when it does, maybe I'll check it out. I'll see what the deal is with that. But like I said, I'm I'm curious to see. I'm not a hundred percent against this this new female Ghostbusters uh, concept or the casting. Um, you know, I'll wait and see what happens. But um, oh, you know what? A good one, Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer is pretty fucking funny. And you know what I would do? I would make their receptionist Daniel Tosh. And if if you're gonna have four female Ghostbusters, the receptionist should be Daniel Tosh. Daniel Tosh would be fucking hilarious as the receptionist. That I would do. Because that would be funny as hell. But again, that's just me. That's my take on the matter. But um, that's actually going to wrap up the show for this week. We went a little bit over the um, the 90-minute the mark. But uh, a lot of good discussions, minus the fact that we couldn't take calls. Uh, just to wrap things up, uh, we will be at Karen Khan on the 18th. If you're interested in attending and are a New York City resident, uh, you will get all the links for that in the show notes. Uh, there will be no show next Thursday because we will be working the Get Geeked event. Uh, you'll be able to watch the live stream for that on getgeeked.tv, and we'll have the links for that and the details for that in the show notes. Hopefully, we'll get the calls and everything else figured out for next week's show. Uh, but with that said, on behalf of myself, Slick, Quark, Blade, and the rest of the MTR family and our affiliates, I will see you guys next week. All right, let's get the hell out of here. See you guys later. Peace. Rats, rats. Rats, 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 rats